0: When Jesus called his disciples, he used two powerful words, follow me. Simon Peter and his brother Andrew were fishermen and Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus came across Philip and he said, follow me. And Philip did. He came across Matthew at his tax collector's booth and Jesus said, follow me. And Matthew immediately got up and left his dishonest life behind. He was always, follow me, follow me, follow me. The Christian life is not a set of rules to follow, it's a person to follow. And we're gonna look today at the most important habit you could ever put into your life, and that's the habit of following Jesus, just one step at a time. Following Jesus one step at a time wherever he goes. Have you ever asked yourself this question, how did I end up here? Never saw this coming. I didn't think that I would be in this place. I didn't think that this would happen to me. How did I end up here? But usually, you can trace your steps back along the path that you've been on and realize you were always on a path that was gonna end up there usually that's the way it is because we're a product of the path that we're on. We're a product of the path that we choose. If I say, how did I end up here so out of shape? Well, if I retrace my steps and I go back to where I started on that path several years ago of daily taking in more calories than I burn off each day just a little bit, then I can see that every day I've been on a path that leads to being out of shape. How did I get in this financial situation? Well, if you just trace your steps back, you can probably see that back there ways, you started spending more than you were taking in. And it was gonna lead to that path. How did I end up at this place with all these broken relationships? Well, if you just trace your steps back, you can see you're always on a path that didn't handle conflict on a daily basis, didn't know how to manage conflict because you always thought relationships were supposed to work out perfectly and so something must have been wrong and and you never learned how to manage conflict and work through conflict to deeper connection. And if you can see that those steps that you took were always on that path that was always gonna lead to a lot of broken relationships, then that's a wake up call. Because we're just a product of the path that we're on. And the most important path you could ever be on, and it starts taking care of all the others, is the habit of just following Jesus, step by step. Because he knows the paths that we should take in life. And so I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. And would you stand in honor of God's word, Woodland Church, and- I want to welcome all you guys at our Woodlands Church, Atascacita, Woodlands Church, North Point, and everyone here at the Woodlands Campus, and all you guys on our online campus all over the world, and through our broadcast ministry all over the world, we're one church, and we're built on God's word, and I know God has a word for you today. I believe with all my heart, I'm so excited about this message, because I know that God wants to speak to each of your hearts about the unique path that he has for you, And he wants you to win the race that he's called you to. And he wants you to learn how to follow him one step at a time, because he'll take you places you never dreamed you could ever go. And when you look back and you say, it was that day in January at Woodland Church when I started on that path, that real path of fulfillment. And so let's read. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Dear Lord, today I pray that you would just do an amazing work in each of our hearts. Lord, I know that you have a personal and purposeful plan for each person here at our campuses and each person worshiping online. Each person, Lord Jesus, that is hearing my voice right now, I know has problems and difficulties and trials. Lord, we know that sometimes the path can be uphill And sometimes we can't see the results. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a good path. But Lord, we always know that you're taking us to a perfect place ultimately. And you're leading us into true fulfillment regardless of our circumstances. And so Lord, I just pray that you would do something so powerful and personal in each person's life that they'd be able to look back on this day and say, that was the day that I finally got it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Really, the habit of following Jesus, folks, comes down to focus. It's all about what you focus on. And so first, we've gotta stop focusing on pleasing people. We talked about it a little last week, but it's so crucial. You can't follow Jesus when you're trying to please people. It's as simple as that. In Hebrews 12, the writer says, if you're a Christ follower, you're running on a path right now. You're running a race on a path. And Jesus is right in front of you and all you've gotta do is just follow him wherever he goes because he knows the best path for your life because he made you and he knows how you run best. He knows how you work best and he cares about every detail of your life. And so all you gotta do is you gotta follow him and that path is a path of fulfillment and meaning and purpose and peace no matter what's going on around you. But the problem is sometimes the path is uphill and it gets really hard. And sometimes we're running on the path and we don't feel any fulfillment. It feels like God's nowhere around, even though we know that he's right in front of us, we're following him. And sometimes you just don't see any results. And you feel like giving up. And sometimes you see the path of others and sometimes you see the path of least resistance. And you think, that looks like a good path. That'd be really nice and easy but you know it leads to destruction. But here's the great thing. It says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what is that, the cloud of witnesses? In the series, we keep coming back to clouds, but what does that mean? The cloud of witnesses is the billions of Christ followers who have taken the same path, and they're already in heaven. And it's almost like you're running your race on this path, but yet you have billions of people all along the path in grandstands, all along the path, and they're cheering you on. They're saying, it's worth it. Oh, don't give up now. You can't see what's just around the corner. God's got something amazing for you just around the corner. That's why he didn't give you what you asked for right here, because you can't see what he had in store for you in the future. Keep running, keep running. Don't give up. I went through the same thing, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's worth it. Keep going. Don't give up. I mean billions of people who've gone before and run the path and followed Jesus are just yelling and cheering and clapping, encouraging you on all the time, because they've already run the race. But I love this next verse in Hebrews 12:1 it says, Let us strip off everything that hinders us as well as the sin which dogs our feet. Saying you gotta get rid of all the things that hold you back. You gotta get rid of all the distractions that keep you from running the race on the path that God wants you to be on. You gotta get rid of all the things that dog your feet and redirect your life to the wrong path. And one of the biggest distractions is trying to please people. When we're in high school, junior high and high school, we call it peer pressure. And I always tell students, um, I know that you're worried about what everyone else is thinking about you. You know, when you walk in a room, all a junior high student or a high school student can think about is what is everyone else thinking about them? You know, what I'm wearing, how I look, and, and, and they're all worried because of peer pressure and they wanna fit in and, and they're worried about what everyone else is thinking about them. And so I always set them free by saying, just know this, no one else is thinking about you. That should encourage you. They're all thinking about what everyone else is thinking about them. They don't have time to think about you. So do whatever you want, you know? Don't worry about what everyone else is thinking because they ain't thinking about you right now. They're thinking about them and what you're thinking about them. And we laugh about junior high students and high school students. We look back and we think about all the peer pressure and stupid things we did because of peer pressure and how dumb that is now and, you ever been to a high school reunion? I mean, all the heroes are now zeros, you know? Everybody's fat and bald, and, and that's just the ladies. It's just sad, you know? It's just sad, you know? I mean, it's, it puts it all in perspective, and you go, man, I cared so much about what they thought about me. That was stupid. And I think, though, that we look back, and we can see how dumb it is as we look back on the path, but most of us as adults... We're still doing the same thing. We don't call it peer pressure. We call it people pleasing. Uh, We wanna please people. We want people to be pleased with us. And it's people pleasing and it's a distraction from our path. And there's no way you can follow Jesus when you're people pleasing. And I have to say that this has been one of the distractions in my life. You know, I love for people to be pleased with me. When I first started in ministry, I thought that was my goal. I thought God wanted me to try to please everyone. I was in a little church of Ten people. When I was in college, they were all over eighty, and um, they—I don't know how they put up with my sermons. You know, they gave me a bag of okra if I preached a good sermon. If I didn't, you know, I didn't get anything. But um, just this little farming community, and and they just loved Chris and I, and we would just come out there on Sundays and, and preach to them. But I'll just never forget how they just took me in and they loved me and they cared about me. But they were always worried about what everyone else in those eight people were thinking about them. And it was really wild because I would preach a sermon on gossip and everybody would look back at Ruby Lee. You know, it's like, she's the gossip here. You know, she's been doing it for 70 years now. You know, and they, and they were always worried about, they're, they're in their 80s and they're worried about what everyone else is thinking about them. And I thought my job was to please them. And so I would always try to please them. And I realized you get five of them pleased and then, you know, the other five would be upset at you and you couldn't please them. And finally I realized I was trying to do what even God can't do, because sometimes the farmer prays for rain and God sends rain and he thanks the Lord, but then the family reunion that was gonna have their picnic, they're going, God, why did you dump all this rain on us? And so when you try to people please, you're trying to do something that even the God of the universe can't do, please everyone. And I finally realized that when you try to please everyone, you just make everybody mad usually. And so I finally started just trying to please the audience of one to do what God called me to do. And that changed everything. And so God says, you got to strip off all the things that hold you back. People-pleasing is one of the biggest. In Galatians 1.10, Paul said, I'm not trying to win the approval of people but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. He said, I wouldn't be a Christ follower if my goal was to please people because you can't do both. And when you're trying to win the approval of people, you're on this destructive path. And there are a lot of consequences. The first is a loss of purpose. In Hebrews 12, one, it says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What that means is, if you're a Christ follower and you're following Jesus, there's only one way to heaven through Christ. But Jesus Christ will take you on unique paths as you follow him. He will take you on a unique path that's just cut out just for you, and if you start looking at other paths around you and go, you know, why aren't you blessing me like you're blessing that person, Lord? You're gonna get distracted and you're gonna miss your life purpose. If you start looking at other people's gifts and abilities and what they've got and, and the problems they have, and they don't have the problems I have, Lord, you're gonna get so distracted that you're gonna miss the path that God has for you, and you're not gonna be following Jesus Christ when you start worrying about the race everyone else is running, you get distracted from the unique unique race that God has marked out for you. But then there's a loss of deep connection. The reason why we people please and fear man more than God is because we're afraid of rejection. That's the deep fear, we fear rejection. You know, I I wanna please you so that you'll feel good about me and you won't reject me. In Genesis 2.25, is Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve were totally exposed physically, emotionally, spiritually, totally exposed, totally vulnerable. Nothing was hidden from each other, and they were totally connected. And that's what deep connection is all about totally revealing your true self. Uh, totally being open and not hiding anything. But when you're totally exposed and vulnerable, you're vulnerable to rejection. They had no shame. They had no shame. All they had was a deep and rich connection. Totally vulnerable, totally exposed, totally connected. But in Genesis 3:7, it's after sin entered the world. After they sinned, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. At the moment of their sin, shame entered the world. And for the first time ever, Adam and Eve felt that burden, that crushing burden that just sucks the life out of you of shame. For the first time in their lives, they felt shame. They were totally exposed, totally vulnerable. And what did they do? They tried to cover up because they didn't want to be exposed. They didn't want to be vulnerable. The cover up started right there when sin entered the world because they were afraid of rejection. If you truly know everything about me, my faults, my flaws, my real feelings, then you may reject me. And so shame entered the world because of the fear of rejection. And shame prevents this deep connection that God longs for in our lives. In the marriage relationship, it should be like that first verse I read. They were both naked spiritually, emotionally, physically, and no shame. That's what God wants us to get back to, and it's so hard because of our brokenness to get back to the garden. But that's what God wants, and shame prevents this deep connection. Because if you really know me, you really know my brokenness and what I'm really like, If you really know all my faults, if you really know my true feelings, then you may reject me. So we cover up, we hide. We don't reveal our true selves. We people please. The cover up, though, keeps us from close connection. We have to be vulnerable to be really connected to someone. And people pleasing is not out of love. It's out of selfish fear. You see, I'm trying to please you so that you will be pleased with me because if you're not pleased with me then I'm not okay with me and so I need you to be pleased with me so I can feel good about myself and it's really just selfish fear it's not about love at all it's that you need people more than you love people that's what's really happening and you're asking them to meet a need that only God can meet. And so I don't wanna reveal my true self to you because if you know everything about me, all my faults and and what I really feel, then you may reject me. And so I need you to feel good about me, so I'm just gonna try to please you. That's very unloving. It's just out of selfish fear. And so people pleasing is not loving. And so we should love people more and try to please people less really stop trying to please people and start serving people. And we go to God to meet those deepest needs that only God can meet because you'll never find those needs to be met in trying to please other people. Please them less, love them more. But shame, it covers up our true connection. In Hebrews twelve two, it says, for He, Jesus himself, endured the cross and thought nothing of the shame. So Christ went through the most shameful experience anyone could have ever gone through, the most shameful experience anyone has ever gone through on this earth. He was totally exposed on the cross. He was crucified as a horrific criminal in the eyes of everyone around. He died such a violent, excruciatingly painful Shameful death, and then he took upon himself all the most shameful sins of everyone who has ever lived. He took on my sins, he took on your sins, he took on the shameful sins of everyone in the world. He went through the most shameful thing anyone could ever go through, but it says he endured the cross, and you know, he, he could care less about the shame. He endured the cross. And he thought nothing of the shame. Why? The next verse tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The reason why he thought nothing of the shame was for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? You, me. You see, he, while he was enduring all that pain and all that shame was coming over him, he looked and he saw me and he said, this is the only way Carrie can have a relationship with me. I have to take all the shame, all his guilt, all his sins. And it's the only way I can have a love relationship with him and he can be totally connected to me and he can live with me forever in heaven. And so the joy set before him was you because he focused on you, bringing you into a relationship with him and bringing you to heaven one day to live with him forever. The shame was nothing to him compared to that joy in looking and seeing how he was dying for you. And if I focus on Jesus, then my shame will disappear. It will evaporate like a morning fog as the sun comes out. When his light shines on you, when you focus on Jesus, The shame goes away. He focused on you and he counted the shame as nothing. You focus on him and your shame will go away. But you gotta keep bringing your shame to him. You gotta be totally vulnerable and exposed. The only way to get rid of shame is not to deny it or think that it's not so bad what you've done. The only way is just to admit your brokenness and your sins and your failures and your mess and just bring your mess to God so he can work a miracle. Bring it right to the cross. You push right into the shame. You don't avoid it. You don't run from it, you don't anesthetize it, you run right into the shame, admitting it and bringing it to Jesus Christ and you focus on him. He focused on you and the shame meant nothing to him. You focus on him and that shame will fall away. Well, we have to focus on Jesus, that's for sure. So the first thing is really make sure that you stop people pleasing and then start focusing on following Jesus. The only cure for the fear of man is the fear of God. Focus on Jesus rather than what people think about you. In Hebrews 12, two, it says fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. No more cover up. You just focus on Jesus Christ and his love for you and you walk right to him. You see, whenever you deny your sins or whenever you compare your sins to others and think you're not so bad, that's a flight from grace. You're moving out of grace, but whenever you admit them and you come to him in the light, then you're moving right into his grace and you can experience his grace. You push right into your shame and you bring it all to the cross and you just look to Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, that's really the key. Just fix your eyes on Jesus. You can't follow Jesus if your eyes aren't on Jesus. You've gotta watch where Jesus moves, where he goes. So how do you do that, Carrie? Let me give you some really practical ways to do that. And we're gonna do a little study of the 23rd Psalm because what a perfect chapter of how you truly follow Jesus one step at a time. First, surrender to the good shepherd. You've gotta make the good shepherd the Lord of your life. You've gotta make the good shepherd the shepherd of your life. In Psalm 23:1, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So David here is speaking not as a shepherd, though he was one, he's speaking as one of the sheep. And he's bragging on his good shepherd. It's really kind of like a a kid bragging on their dad. My dad's better than your dad, you know? He said, my dad, my owner is the owner of the universe. My, My shepherd is the Lord of the universe. He created the universe and he's my owner. He's my good shepherd and he can meet every one of my needs. You see, David knew the lot in life of any sheep depended totally upon the shepherd because the shepherd has to take care of all the needs of the sheep. Without a good shepherd, then the sheep is not gonna make it. And so David, who was a shepherd, understood that. And if you surrender your life to the good shepherd, the God of the universe, you're in good hands. He's the manager of the universe. He can be the manager of your life. He's the guy that put the stars in place. He can take care of every need in your life and he cares about every detail of your life. A lot of people are afraid to make Christ the Lord of their life. They're afraid to surrender to Christ because they think he's gonna mess up their life. I don't know, make them real religious or something or take them down a wrong path that's so boring. A lot of people are afraid to make Christ the general manager of their life because they think that he doesn't really care about them. He doesn't really understand. He's gonna mess up their life, but the God of the universe created you. He knows how you work best and he cares about every detail of your life. And you have to make him the owner of your life. See, that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that he created you, he knows how you work best and what brings fulfillment to you because he made you. He's the designer, but you have to decide if he's gonna be the owner of your life. And to do that, you've got to know that he cares about you. He's big enough to handle any problem you face and he cares about the smallest detail in your life. Several years ago, I bought a boat that I'm so glad that I can tell you I sold years ago as well, because I was a terrible boat owner. And my friend, Johnny, he'd owned boats all his life, and he was the best boat owner, you know. He grew up wakeboarding, skiing, doing all these things, and when my son Steven was in high school, He loved wakeboarding and snowboarding and all those kind of sports. And so I thought, we got to get into Stephen's life. I was always looking at how to get into my junior high kid or high school kid's life. And so that was his favorite thing. So um, against the will of God, I bought a boat. And and I'll never forget all the experiences that we had in that boat that weren't positive. It It was just amazing. And so I bought, Johnny helped me out, and I bought the same boat that he had, and we had identical boats. Mine was just a little newer. We had the same boat, but every day Johnny would be taking care of his boat. He, he would go out to the lake and, you know, wash it and wax it. He would make sure the oil was changed. He would do all the maintenance checks. He could do it all himself. He was always taking care of that boat, and the first year, well, really the first time I took the boat out, I hit a concrete dock as I was backing it out, and I was going real slow. Then I panicked, and I And I gunned it and hit it again on the other side and then back and forth and then I just really panicked and I hit the dock six times, the concrete dock. The first time the first time I took it out and Stephen was there with one of his friends and once we got out there, I wasn't saying anything. I just had a did it up boat and I'm just going out and no one's really saying anything. Then Stephen's friend said, Pastor Kerry, how many times did you hit the dock? And I go, I don't know, why does it matter? He goes, because I I wanna get it right when I tell my dad the story. I go, well, thank you. We're just gonna throw you in the water right now and let a whale get you, you know? It's like, I still didn't talk, you know, for about another 30 minutes, but in the first year, I hit a stump, destroyed the hole, had to get that repaired. I I sucked in a bag in the engine, a plastic bag, didn't know what was going on, burned the engine out, had to get that changed. I mean, this is the first year And and so what we would do, we would go out onto the lake. Stephen and I would go on the lake, and we'd meet Johnny and his son, because his son was the same age as Stephen, and and we'd go out there, and our boats were identical, even the same color. But his boat was older, and it started looking a lot better than my boat, you know? But one time I came out there, and Johnny looks over at my boat, and for the first time ever, he says, wow, I'm kind of jealous. And I go, really? He goes, yeah, I mean, you're ballast. I guess the newer ones, the ballast is bigger, because you're just riding really low in the water. Man, what a great wake. I wish I could have ballast like that, where I could get low in the water like that? And I go, well, you know, I just, I'm really good with ballast, whatever that is, you know? I just, you, you know, it's the ballast. You gotta tweak the ballast, Johnny. You gotta understand these things. And so, then he looks back over about five minutes later, he goes, wow, you're even deeper now. That's wild, what'd you do? And I go, I didn't do anything, just my boat, you know? And he goes, that's really strange. And so he boarded my boat Opened up the engine, and it was just flooded with water. And he said, "He said, did you put the plug in? And I said, what's a plug? (laughs) That's when I knew I was in trouble. He starts looking all over the boat. He finds, who knew they were like bathtubs? Boats are like bathtubs. You have to have a plug. It's just crazy. So anyway, Johnny jumps in. He goes underneath, and he puts the plug in. And he said, you were that close from sinking your whole boat. And I go, I believe that. You don't have to convince me. That. No, he said, you were that close. I go, Johnny, I believe you. I know I was about to sink the boat. That makes sense to me. <laughs> and, I, you know, I thought if my boat could talk at that moment, he would be saying something like, Johnny, please be my owner. Take me away from this miserable, wretched owner that's destroying me. Help me. I want you to take care of me. You care about every detail. This guy's an idiot. Help me. Save me from this owner. That's what my boat would have said. Fortunately, it has had a new owner for many years now. But most people think if they give their life to God and let him be the owner of the life he's going to mess up their life and how ridiculous I mean you know he's like Johnny when it comes to boats you know he cares about you he made you he knows everything about you every day he's meeting little needs in your life it brings him so much joy to meet your needs and to take you down the right path and but you have to surrender to him You got to come to the place where you say, This is my day of surrender. I'm tired of trying to control all these things I can't control, and I trust you, Jesus Christ, to be my shepherd, my Lord. I place myself in your care and your control. And then you take daily steps. And one of those is the second thing slow down and nourish your soul. You got to slow down and nourish your soul. If you follow Jesus, you can see in Jesus' life, even though He knew he was only gonna have three years of ministry on this earth. He fulfilled everything that he was supposed to do. He got more done than anyone else has gotten done in the history of the world in 33 years, and he always took time to slow down. He might be working really hard, moving really fast, and then boom, God's time to slow down, and they wouldn't understand it. But in Psalm 23 too, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. When Christ is your shepherd, he will lead you to nourish and restore your soul. When you follow your ambition, your soul will start to ache. Your soul will atrophy. When you follow everyone else, your soul will dry up and you won't even know who you are. You'll lose your true self in trying to please everyone. Some of you have been pleasing people for so long, you didn't even know what you want, what your true desires are, that are divine desires that God has placed in your heart. You don't even know yourself because you've been pleasing people for so long you lost yourself. Jesus said, if you'll lose yourself to me, then you'll find your true self. But if you try to please everyone else, you're gonna lose who you really are. But Christ cares about your soul. He knows you're not just a body. That You have a soul that needs to be nourished. And some of you, you go on vacation for a week and you come back and you wonder why you still have this ache. You don't know it's an ache in your soul. It's because you didn't do anything to nurse your soul. Maybe you rested your body, you recreated, but you didn't restore your soul. Some of you have gotten out of touch with your soul and you're on the verge of burnout. I thought about this recently, and I thought about some of the most rewarding and meaningful moments in my entire life. It's some moments that I've had with God that have changed the whole course of my life some moments that I've had in my marriage with Chris, like taking long walks on the trails, hand in hand, sitting on the porch swing on our back porch and just talking together as we're looking out. And I thought about some of the moments that have been so rewarding when my kids were growing up, like bike rides to the park or fishing for crabs in Galveston Bay. And then I I thought there's one thing they all have in common, they were all done slowly. There's no speed attached to them. You see, God wants us to work hard. Sometimes we run fast in this race, but if you're following Jesus, he will slow you down long enough to nourish your soul. He will never let your soul atrophy. And there are two ways, two things he uses more than anything else. The first is a Sabbath. It's one of the 10 commandments to honor the Sabbath. And that is whatever you do the rest of the week, you don't do that that day. And you're doing that right now. The first thing you do on your Sabbath is you worship. Whether it's Saturday, whether it's Sunday, my Sabbath is Monday because I work on the weekends. And so what you do, the first thing you do is you worship. You connect with God and that's what you're doing. You're realigning your life through worship. You make it a priority. Your family knows it's a priority because you don't wanna break one of the Ten Commandments or they'll break you. And so then you recreate. After you worship, you recreate. Enjoy family, you slow down. Whatever you normally do, you don't do it that day because it's God's day and he made it for you. He says he makes me lie down in green pastures. Sometimes he has to make me lie down. If I don't obey him and I break the Sabbath, sometimes he has to make me lie down because he cares about me that much. He brings something in my life that just slows me down, knocks me down. I mean, sometimes God will allow you to have a little stay, you know, in a hospital to slow you down. He loves you that much. But God loves you and he cares about you every detail and he wants to nourish your soul. The second thing is a daily quiet time. Every day I need to connect with God. He's gotta nourish my soul. You know, you're gonna starve if you don't nourish your soul every day. And the way you do that is just open up God's word, read, write down, pray to him, talk to him, and we're doing that every day 50 days of prayer and if you haven't done it yet, we're starting again tomorrow on Monday and on all our social media platforms, I do a five to 10 minute devotional on prayer and I just take you through my quiet time. Instead of trying to have an hour quiet time or, or two hours or whatever and act like I'm so spiritual, I'm just taking you through my quiet time, five minutes, 10 minutes, every day to connect with God and we're talking about prayer and how to talk to him and, and how to see him give you the things that you really need in your life And so on all our social media platforms, online, everywhere, connect with us tomorrow. It comes on at 8 a.m., new every day, Monday through Friday, but it's recorded so you can watch it anytime. You can watch it the next day at 5 a.m. before you go off to work or, or that night or at noon, whenever, but connect every day because you need a Sabbath and you need daily connection to nourish your soul. And then those slow down times with family that are so important, but the Sabbath, Makes such a difference. On May 25th, 1979, Dennis Waitley was desperately trying to catch a flight from Chicago to LA for a speaking engagement, and he was in O'Hare Airport, and that's not a very good airport to be in when you're running late for a flight, and he was trying to find his way to the gate. He finally got to the gate, and they had just closed the jetway, and he was so frustrated, he just begged them to let him on that flight. They wouldn't. He got really upset. They still wouldn't budge. He was really mad and so he decided as he walked over to the ticket counter to get a new ticket that he was gonna file a complaint. And when he was waiting in line at the ticket counter, an announcement came over the PA that American Airlines Flight 191 had crashed on takeoff. An engine had fallen off and it had flipped over and killed all 253 passengers and 13 crew. Dennis Waitley, needless to say, never filed that complaint. In fact, he kept the ticket from flight 191 and he has placed it in a prominent place in his office where on difficult days, on days when he looks out at different paths and wonders why it's difficult in his life, he remembers the God-given gift that he has another day, that he has another day because if he'd been on time for that flight, it'd have been his last day on this earth. And none of us know when our last date will be And God wants to be the manager of our life and he wants us to do the things most important to nourish our soul. And some of you have been running so fast, you've been neglecting your soul for so long that you're not even in touch with your soul. And if you're not a Christ follower, your soul has never come alive and you're wondering what's missing. The reason why, if you're a Christ follower, God allows your soul to ache and you to feel something missing is so you'll be drawn to him and you'll stop running and you'll slow down long enough to do the most important thing, nourish your soul. But it brings me to the last thing in following Jesus. Schedule your time based on values, not the agenda of others. When it comes to your daily schedule, you do the things most important first. It comes from your core values, those God values. In Psalm 23, three, it says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David was saying the good shepherd leads me in the path of his values for his glory, not on the path of everyone else's agenda. When you're trying to please people, really you can't follow Jesus. So you gotta decide what's most important and then you calendar that. You gotta decide what's most important and then you've gotta put it in a priority place because if you don't decide what's most important, everyone else will be glad to decide it for you. And you'll be living your life based on everyone else's agenda. And you'll be on a path that everyone else pushes you on. And it'll, you'll come to the end of that path and you'll realize that you wasted your life. And so you have gotta live your schedule from your values. That's one of the greatest stresses that we have in our lives. For those of us who are Christ followers especially, it's, it's that we have values that we believe, but then our life doesn't match those values. And I call it a frustration gap, or an integrity gap. It's like I say I believe my health is important, but do I eat right and exercise enough? And there's this gap between what I believe and and, and what I'm doing. We say that God comes first in my life, but is church really a priority? Or does other things take precedence over being at weekly worship? Am I spending five, 10 minutes with God in the morning putting him first? Am I putting him first in my finances? So we say we believe God is first, but then we live our lives differently and there's that gap between our values and our schedules and our lives. And the goal is to reduce that gap. It reduces the stress in our lives to really live from our true selves, to live from our values and not everyone else's agenda. Because if you don't live from your values, you will live from everyone else's agenda. You will be pushed onto the path that everyone else pushes you on. Jesus taught us how to do this in Mark 1:35. It says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And so the disciples were kind of ticked at Jesus because they came out there and they go, don't you know Jesus, everybody is looking for you, everyone needs you, there are important people asking about you, everybody's looking for, looking for you right now. Did you disconnect, did you turn off your cell phone? I mean, Matthew texted you six times. Don't you care about him? I mean, he won't even come out here. He's so upset right now. I mean, Jesus, everyone needs you right now. Why did you do this? Why did you disconnect? And Jesus said, I refuse to live that way. Never disconnecting. Always being accessible. And he was the son of God, but he needed his soul to be nourished and so for you to say yes to following Jesus, you got to say no to a lot of other things. you got to learn to say no to a lot of other things, and that's going to disappoint people. But ultimately, you find the respect because you're following Jesus, that audience of one. Jesus refused to live that way. you got to disconnect to reconnect. You know, we dinner, sitting on the sofas, you know, watching television, and everybody has their cell phone out, you know, and if, if you need to talk to your spouse, you just text them sitting next to you. I mean, we never disconnect. We got this little box at our house that just says disconnect to reconnect, and it's just this little wooden box, and it just a little slit in the box where you put your cell phone in. You know, and so we'll do that at times, just put it in, there. everybody, we're disconnecting right now. Put it in, so we can talk for a little bit. You gotta disconnect to reconnect. Jesus taught us how to do it, and I love how when Jesus, the good shepherd, goes before us, you're following Jesus, he's there already preparing a way for you. Just think about that for a moment. If I follow Jesus one step at a time, that means he's ahead of me. He's already there in the future. He's in the past, present, and future all at the same time, so you can stop worrying about the past and all your screw-ups in the past because he's already been there to cover you. And then. He's in the future preparing a way. I've seen it so many times in my life. When I'm following Jesus, Jesus is already taking care of problems that I haven't come across yet. I remember when we first came to the woodlands and started the church and it started growing and and we felt like God was calling us to get at least 50 acres in, in the woodlands and every expert we talked to said that's crazy because churches are only allowed to have five acres or less so there's no place like that in the woodlands. And then this place opened up 125 acres right in the middle of the woodlands. But a family had held out from selling it to the woodlands for a, for a long time and they had some disagreement or something. And and this 125 acres had been right there, but no one really knew about it. Then they wanted to sell it, but the woodlands surrounded it. So they said, if you'll buy it, then we'll give you access. And because it'll become part of the woodlands. You know, the church's property, but it's it's part of the woodlands, and so That would be wonderful. Now here's the thing, we didn't have anything to do with that, really. God picked this land out before I was born, and he designated it that it would be, this where Will and Church is gonna be, because I've got a plan. You see, he was ahead of me, he was ahead of you, he was ahead of us, and God's done that so many times. Right now, God, if you're following Jesus, he's in the future right now preparing a way for you. And he says, one day, I'm gonna prepare a place for you in eternity. You know, I'm gonna go there and prepare that place and it's gonna be ready. He's already there preparing a place for you, Christ follower in eternity, but he's in tomorrow. You don't have to worry about tomorrow because he's already there and he's paving a way for you. And whenever you're on the path following Jesus and you're praying for something and he says no, it's because he knows he's preparing something better for you In the future, he's already there working on it, preparing something better for you, and when you get there, you'll see it. You just can't see it right now. So many times in my life, I look back and go, thank you, God, that you didn't answer that prayer five years ago because you were five years ahead and you were already working on this, and I didn't know it. Thank you, Lord. When you follow Jesus, you have a God who goes before you, and he takes care of problems for you before you even get there. He has a plan. He has a purpose. Don't miss it. Don't get impatient. Keep taking those steps. Keep taking those steps. But then I love how Psalm 23 ends. Most people don't really focus in on this, but this is so powerful. After you follow Jesus, sometimes the road is hard. Sometimes it leads to the valley of death. Sometimes it leads through a mountain pass that's hard to get through. But he will always be with you and he will be going ahead of you, making a way for you to get through it. But then it says in verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's saying not only will he go before you when you follow him, but his goodness and mercy will come behind you to clean up your messes. That's pretty awesome. As I'm following Jesus, he paves a way for my future, and then his mercy and his goodness come behind me because I'm not gonna do it right all the time. I'm gonna mess up. I'm gonna, and He somehow he takes that and works a miracle out of the mess. He comes behind me, and for his glory, he gives me his mercy, his mercy for your past. And so you don't have to worry and have regrets about the past. You can just step into your future knowing that he's already there. Just follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus, one step at a time, daily, having that time with God weekly being in worship putting in first in the areas of your life that are most important and take those steps one step at a time and you'll look back and you'll be where you never dreamed that you could be and when you stumble when you fall his mercy's coming right behind you to pick you up to give you his forgiveness and grace and put you back on the path let's pray together dear god there are a lot of paths that we can take and and so many times lord I, i get off track and I'll take a selfish path or I'll take a people-pleasing path. I'll take the path of least resistance. And Lord, that always leaves my soul aching. And I thank you that your mercy comes behind me and picks me up and puts me back on the right path. I thank you, Lord, that you're already ahead of me. You know the future. Lord, sometimes I worry about the future and it looks like things are so unsettled today. But I thank you, Lord Jesus, that Even though I don't know what the future holds, I know who holds the future. And I just pray for every one of us today, for all the Christ followers who are listening and worshiping today, that you would help us take that next step, whatever it is, just one little step at a time on that path following you. Just keep our eyes on you, Jesus, no matter what. And then, Lord, I pray for those who have never received you, that right now they would just say, Jesus Christ, I need you in my life. I surrender to you. Thank you for making me and creating me. You know how I I work best. You know what fulfillment means and brings. So I surrender to you and ask you to be the owner, the general manager of my life, and to guide me from now on. Forgive me of all my sins and make me new on the inside. Change me from the inside out. Help me start taking those steps of faith to nourish my soul and follow you with all my heart. And thank you for the gift of heaven. I accept your free gift of salvation heaven, and I ask you to be the Lord, the shepherd of my life from now on. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, Christ came into your life, and he will never leave you. Now you just start taking those steps of faith, those steps of faith. And I want you to know today is a miracle day. I believe with all my heart, God is here to work miracles in our lives, to do amazing things in our relationships, to restore our souls, and so, I just really encourage you, if you're a Christ follower and you've been trying to control things, maybe you feel like you've been trying to control and trying to control things that are uncontrollable. If you've been worried and fearful, that means you're trying to control the uncontrollable. You're trying to be the general manager of the universe. Give it over to him. Today is your surrender song. Today is your surrender song to surrender to him and feel his peace flood you. If you haven't received Christ, do that. Surrender to him and receive his salvation. Well, now we're at the point of our service where we give back to God some of what he's given us and put God first this year. Take those steps, those little steps to put him first in your finances. And we don't pass the offering basket trying to be as safe as possible. What do we do? Um, well, you take out your smartphone. So take out your smartphone right now. And by the way, the bulletin, the program is on our app. Uh, the sermon notes are on the app. So you can follow along. Uh, giving is on our app. And also you can go to wc.org give on your computer at home, on your smartphone here, or you can just text the word GIVEWC, GIVEWC, put it together one word to 77977, and you can do it right there on your smartphone. But make sure you put God first this year in the most important areas of your life, and your finances are important. And God says, I'll bless the rest, I'll meet your needs, I'll see you through if you'll follow me in this area of finances. And so let's do that. And then would you pray for God to really multiply it as we're trying to reach out and we're reaching millions of people who are hurting and we have more people hurting than ever and somehow one week at a time, one day at a time, God provides because where God guides, God provides. But pray God will multiply those gifts in a miracle kind of way during this time as we're stepping out more than ever to meet the needs of hurting people. But mostly you need to give for your own sake so you can see God work in your life and you can surrender the things that are most important. Because today is your song of surrender. Let's stand Woodlands Church and wherever you are, if you're at home, if you're at one of our campuses, let's sing this song to the Lord. Let this be a prayer to God. It's time to surrender. You've been running fast, you haven't made room for him, but you are making room for him in 2021. If you want 2021 to be different than 2020, you gotta do some things that you didn't do in 2020. For some of you, it's a new path. For every one of us, it's a song of surrender to say, God, 2021 is yours. I give up to you. I'm tired of trying to control everything. You're in control. And take that step. Today is your surrender song. As we make room for him, he goes before you, he goes behind you, he goes to the side of you. He goes into the future with you. He's already there. Let's sing. Hey, church.